0: We've been in a series that we're calling Resisting Rage. The aim of the series is to gain some perspective and be reminded of some truths that will hopefully help us uh, kind of resist the outrage that is so prevalent in our culture right now. Uh, if you missed the first couple of messages, I encourage you to go back and listen or watch those uh, as I think that'll be helpful context uh, as we go along. Uh, but I want to begin this morning with a quote from a theologian named Miroslav Volf. So you can't help but be a theologian if that's your name, right? Uh, So Miroslav Volf, he says this. uh, To triumph fully, evil needs two victories, not one. The first victory happens when an evil deed is perpetrated. The second victory, when evil is returned. After the first victory, evil would die if the second victory did not infuse it with new life. thanks for coming this morning, (laughs) right? I mean, that is really, really rich. Okay, so what what Wolf is describing here is known as the cycle of vengeance uh, or the cycle of evil or the cycle of violence. And, And the principle is this. When evil is perpetrated against someone, if that person responds to the evil with vengeance, violence, or further evil, then the first offense has not been satisfied. It has only been carried on. And this principle is actually widely known in fields of psychology, uh, but the Christian hopefully will recognize the essential role of forgiveness in ending the cycle of evil. So we're taking a deep dive in the intro today, okay? So, so the Christian will recognize the essential role that forgiveness plays in ending the cycle of evil, and in fact, then defeating evil. That is, the, the way to end the cycle of evil is for someone to absorb the blow of the offense and then respond with forgiveness, And when this happens, evil is disarmed and exhausted and robbed of any fuel to carry on. You with me? Okay, so in fact then, this is exactly what happens at the cross of Christ. This is how Jesus disarms the principalities and powers of evil on the cross. He takes on blame, hatred, and violence and responds with forgiveness. He absorbs the violence that brings him to death, but that violence and evil is then overcome through forgiveness and resurrection. Amen, that's yes, right, right. So if, if we're not like getting some traction or some excitement here, then our theology is a little bit off, right? This is exactly what's happening on the cross. And so for those who call themselves Christians, this should actually be the centering motif of our faith. We are not called to be fighters for God who engage in culture wars and seek to give the bad guys what's coming to them, but rather we are to live lives in such a way that our own lives are modeled after Christ, who, when harmed, responded with forgiveness. Amen and amen. So that's the principle behind the cycle of evil. That's the introductory course. Okay, now, in thinking about our culture of outrage, my mind kept returning to the cycle of evil as a motif for understanding outrage in our culture. Uh, because here's the, here's the thing. Outrage works in exactly the same way. For example, if a news outlet is outraged by the actions of a president, like, say, a mask mandate for federal employees, or really strict immigration policies, just talking about two administrations, Right? If a news outlet is is outraged about either one of those, a competing news outlet will meet that outrage with outrage of their own trying to refute the point. Okay, So we see it happening in the news cycles that we get. Uh, It's important to note that... There used to be a time when there was like maybe one or two news channels and the news was just the news. Uh, But let's just kind of recognize and admit out loud that news is now positioned as entertainment. That's why it's on 24-7 and you have 24-7 news uh, channels. There's not that much news, right? So what you have is commentary about the events in the world that are trying to outrage you. You with me? Okay. And because and, outrage sells, and so they get advertising, and it's positioned as entertainment. So I don't, I don't know how that lands or how, how you're feeling about that, but uh, that's just kind of like there's just not that much happening to just talk about the news or report it. You have to have commentary on it. That's how we get 24-7 news channels. Okay. So... Uh, There, so so we find it in the news cycles. Now, we also find it in our personal lives that if a friend or family member posts something on social media that you find appalling, you and others step in to try and put put them in their place, offer some correction, and while well-meaning, these corrections can either be mean-spirited or understood as mean-spirited, thus perpetrating the cycle of outrage, and round and round we go. So... How then do we resist the cycle of outrage in our culture? Uh, well, I, I want to turn to some scriptures that I think will be able to offer us some wisdom to help us meet the challenge. Uh, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with the verse 31 and 32, and it says, cancel all your social media accounts. It's right here in the Greek. Okay, it doesn't say that, but here's what it does say. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 31, says this, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's go ahead and read verse five uh, the verse one of chapter five. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, These verses are powerful all on their own. Uh, They are certainly worthy of being placed on any kind of bumper sticker, right? Any kind of inspirational poster you could get at Hobby Lobby, these would be great. Okay? Uh, These words are inspiring, they're instructive, even without context. But that said, let's make sure that we understand the world that motivated these words. Paul, the apostle, wrote Ephesians in order to demonstrate the great unity that is made possible in Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle wrote the letter of Ephesians in order to demonstrate the great unity that is made possible in the person of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to try to do is summarize the teaching of Ephesians, and I want to try to do it in 30 seconds, okay? So if you want to pull out your device and like test me on this, That's fine. Uh, But here we go. 30 seconds to summarize the book of Ephesians, to kind of provide some theological foundation. Cole's got it ready. Ready, set, go. Here it is. God, the creator, is drawing together a community through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. In this, God has demonstrated that God keeps his promises and is faithful, but... Through Jesus and the work of the Spirit belonging to this community is now open to any who will place their faith in Christ as the world's true king. Thus, God is building a global community centered on the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. This new community... That's it? That was 30? Give me 30 more. This new community of faith is unified through the work of the Spirit and is to embody a new type of humanity. So while this community is unified in principle through Christ and the Spirit, the community must work to be unified in practice by putting off the old humanity and putting on a new humanity. Thus, we are to put away all bitterness, anger, and wrath and put on a kindness that imitates God. Amen. That's Ephesians in one minute, not 30 seconds. Okay, but I want to... I as my wife would say, circle back. I want to circle back, okay? I never knew until we all had to work from home that my wife was a circle back person. You know what I mean? Like, you you kind of work in the offices and people are like wanting to circle back. I never knew she was one of those folks. So let's circle back and look at this. Here's, Here's. I want to read this one sentence again. While this community is unified in principle through the work of Christ and the Spirit, the community must work to be unified in practice through the empowerment of the Spirit, okay? So this is Paul, by the way, does this all the time, where, where Paul will state a truth about who you are in Christ or what is true about the community of Christ called the church, and then he'll say, so now work to, make, to like live into that truth, right? And that's exactly what's happening here. In principle, you have been united in Christ, but in practice, oh man, you've got to work for it. Okay? That's what's happening. And what I want to say this morning is that while circumstances of our world and our culture may be far different than the Christians living in Ephesus, these principles remain the same. That first, we are unified in principle with all believers. And so we must work to be unified in practice. And second, we are to imitate the kindness of God to all. We are to imitate the kindness of God to all. These things remain the same. There's the theological foundation for the rest of the message, which is this one fairly new phenomenon that we quite frankly are still contending with and don't know exactly what to do with as a culture is in fact social media and so I want to spend a few moments just talking about social media and how we can kind of live into this practice of being unified of being kind of putting away bitterness and rage because much of the outrage of our culture is fueled by our news outlets, and by social media, okay? So let's focus on social media today. And what I want to give you is kind of three approaches, three, three ways to kind of come into uh, social media. And if you're following along on your notes, um, you'll see you can follow along there. You can kind of have some room to take your own notes. Uh, but you'll also find that the three that are there are not the three that I'm going to give you. And here's the reason why. Uh, I tell, <laughs> they're similar. Two of the three are the same. Some of you are like, he just pitched the whole thing. No, so so two of the three are the same, and and here's the reason why. Uh, I tell students um, that I sometimes teach in preaching classes. Uh, I tell them a sermon is never finished; it's only delivered. Uh, which means, like, quite literally, on Sunday mornings, I'm always tweaking and rearranging and, and this, and then it's like, okay, I kind of, I'm, like, I'm to the best version that I know to give, and then I deliver it. And then I go home, and I'm like, nah, I would have done that or this, you know, differently. So sermons are never finished. They're only, like, published. They're only delivered. Um, so that's why the, the flex and the change here. So three kind of approaches to social media. Uh, the first one is to engage And if I were to uh, edit this tomorrow, I would put in parentheses after engage, I would put the word faithfully. Engage faithfully. Um, Tell me if this sounds familiar. Uh, You feel passionate enough about something that you decide to share it with the world in the form of a social media post. Then, so you put it out there, you have, it just was boiling inside of you, and you decided to post it and share it with the world. Okay? So you've done that. Now, it's out there, right? And out of care and concern for the family, your fourth cousin once removed kindly reminds you and tells you about all the ways that your post was wrong and how you are being misled by the media right okay i know this is like totally hypothetical this never happens right okay so you comment back with your rebuttal and you point out all the holes in the argument of your fourth cousin once removed And then they share a study from a source that you see as illegitimate. So you share a study from a source that they see as bias. And with every comment, the audience gets wider, right? The audience grows with every comment. And so some friends come to your defense with comments of their own or by liking your comments. Because they're Enneagram nines. Right? And so they're like, like. I did it. I put myself out there. I like to comment, okay? You cannot require anything more of me, right? So your friends come to your defense. But they like your comments. They make comments of their own. More family jump members jump in and they say, you weren't raised this way. <laughs> How could you think that? Right? And so it ends with you unfollowing or unfriending family members and deciding not to talk to them anymore, right? So what's happening in this digital space has very real-world consequences. And I think we're laughing because it feels really close to home, right? I mean, laughing is like a defense mechanism so it doesn't feel so personal, right? And so what started as a platform to see pictures of family you don't often see has become a platform to find out all kinds of things about your relatives that you wish you didn't know, right? And now people are angry, and here's what happens. Now you're thinking about the comments on social media outside of your time consuming social media, right? So it's like taking up emotional space in your life, even when you're not on the platform. Okay. So just as I said, like, let's just be honest about news. Let's take a moment to say this out loud. What is a lose-lose for the family and friends involved in that interaction, everyone's angry, no one's thinking was changed or challenged, is a win-win for social media companies. They call this engagement, right? One really important thing to keep in mind with social media is that it is designed to be addictive. It's very designed, is to keep you on the platform for as long as possible. And the best way to keep you engaged is to show you stuff that either you really agree with or you really disagree with. Right? Outrage. Now, Paul says, and I'm going to be the preacher who wrote Hebrews, somewhere somebody said, I don't remember the reference, but the Apostle Paul says we need to work out our salvation. And so part of what that means, working on our salvation, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, is like learning and discerning and seeking to be in conversation about what does it mean to be a Christian in this time and in this place? With the challenges that we now face, with the information that we now have, what does it mean to faithfully follow Jesus? And we have to have room for discourse and, and debate and conversation to do that. However, so I would say there must be conversations. There must be room for debate. In this life of faith, or we can't like faithfully work out what it means to be Christian. But I will say, 99% of the time, digital spaces are not the right channel for debate. 99% of the time. Let me add a little bit of nuance. Here's a little bit of nuance there. Digital spaces can be good spaces to learn simply by listening. Okay? Digital spaces can be helpful spaces to simply lean in and learn and listen to folks who maybe see the world a little bit differently from you or have a different perspective. Okay? So follow an organization or follow someone who challenges your thinking and just listen. Okay. But overwhelmingly, the context for healthy discourse and conversation must be in real relationship with one another. Do you remember the study I referenced the opening week of this series that stated that friendlessness has increased fivefold over the last 30 years? Do you remember that study? Well, a June 2021 article, so just a couple months ago, published by The Week, digs further into the implications of this. And I want to quote a, a rather lengthy uh, portion of the article, okay? So stick with me here during this lengthy quote. But this is another article published kind of providing some commentary about that study of friendlessness on the rise in America. Here it is, quote, the rise of the internet and especially social media has opened up other possibilities for social interaction, if not exactly friendships. People sharing similar interests, hobbies, quirks, and obsessions can easily find each other online and enjoy a digital facsimile of friendship with others, these virtual communities are more like collective groups of topic-specific pen pals than real-world friendships. The latter are marked by physical closeness, involving handshakes, hugs, backslaps, sharing meal and drinks, backslaps. That's kind of funny, isn't it? Like, hey. Um, so, and other intimacy, and the and the other intimacy that accompanies that kind of physical closeness. Okay and the possibility of holistic self-exposure beyond the specific endeavor that initially brought the friends together. Did you catch that? Okay? Real-world relationships involve physical closeness, and the possibility of holistic self-exposure beyond the specific endeavor that initially brought the friends together. So whether you or your friends originally became close playing or watching sports, shopping, or participating in a book club, that foundation can open up the possibility of a deeper and broader sharing of memories, thoughts, hopes, and fears, the full story of our lives. Okay, he goes on to say, online relationships are different a modicum of closeness might be achieved by some taking the edge off the pain of loneliness and a life without friends but for the most part interaction will tend to remain topic specific and nearly all the inter- and for nearly all the interaction will be mental A friendship or love affair or whatever conducted completely online takes place wholly within the minds of the participants with imagination playing a vastly greater role than it would in the real world. That's one reason why the quirks and obsessions that draw people to specific websites or chat rooms or Facebook groups or Twitter threads often leads those clusters to become quirkier and more obsessive over time. Lacking any need to test ideas against the hard limits and constraints that they would face in the physical world. Right? Ideas can then run wild in the minds of participants in an online conversation or debate. End quote. Whoa. Okay, the primary... So so here's at least part of what this article is saying. The lack of meaningful friendships is leading us to settle for digital relationships. The problem is those digital relationships are hyper-focused on a topic, whatever that topic may be, where ideas don't have to be tested in the real world. So our ideas become more extreme. And the article goes on to make this powerful observation. Quote, "...a nation of increasingly lonely, friendless citizens..." Given outlets to find collective communal fulfillment online will be a nation spawning a range of radical political factions, groups, and movements defined by and drawing the bulk of their cohesion from their loathing of other factions, groups, or movements. In other words, the point of identity becomes we don't like them. We're not like them. Whoa. So, with this in mind, let me invite us all into one of the most daring solutions. This solution is daring and difficult indeed. But the possible solution for participating in reasonable discourse to work out our faith and what it means to be faithful in the world is this Are you ready? Some of you aren't ready. Are you ready? Befriend someone who disagrees with you. And listen. That is radical stuff, man. Oh whoa. Crazy. Befriend someone who disagrees with you and listen. Be curious, not defensive. Ask questions, don't react. If a divide happens over politics or something else, and if someone, and it's someone that you have real world relationship with, you can and you should take the conversation from digital spaces into real world conversations because it is far more difficult to look someone in the eye and say something than it is to just go off on social media. And in the same way, looking someone in the eye reaffirms your shared humanity with them so you are far less likely to demonize them and just put them into one of the groups that isn't you or you don't agree with, right? So if we are to faithfully engage, if we are to engage faithfully, we can do so by listening in digital spaces and then having discourse or debate in real relationships, I was kind of hoping for an amen there, but I get it, right? I get it. So that's engage. Second kind of posture uh, towards social media um, is to say nothing. Remember, your actions online are permanent Your actions online are permanent. Every picture you share, every comment you make are a permanent digital record. Sure, that post can be deleted, but not before someone takes a screenshot, etc. There are many ways to kind of get around a a, a deleted post, right? So these interactions online are permanent records of your actions. And so a good question to ask is, if people only knew me online, would my online self match my real-life self? That's a pretty good question to ask, right? Like if, if um, is the tone of my words online and the tone of my words in person, are they the same? Do they match? Are they congruent? In other words, do I have this sort of online integrity to my, pre- to the present, my presence online? These are good questions and important questions to consider. What this means then is that sometimes especially online, but also in person, sometimes it is best to simply say nothing. (gasps) Right? To not engage at all. This is the social media version of ending the cycle of outrage, right? If you refuse to add to the outrage by simply saying nothing, in a lot of spaces, that's going to be a win. That's going to be a win. And so saying nothing is a great option. And here's a great way to decide. A great way to decide whether or not to say anything is to discern if you and the person you are engaging with are actually willing to listen. Notice I've included you, me, in that equation. Okay? If I go to, if I see something online and I'm tempted to engage and I have a, 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 I am unwilling to listen and do not have a posture of humility, then it is far better for me to just say nothing. Right? In other words, if your motivation to post that mic drop comment is just to put that person in their place... Consider saying nothing instead. And then discern if the person is willing to listen and humble themselves. First yourself. First be self-reflective. Am I willing to listen? Am I willing to humble myself? Right? And if the answer is no, say nothing. If the answer is yes, and I want to engage, then discern if that person is just in it for an argument. Um, Or, and if they're not, just maybe say nothing. Because if they aren't willing to listen and humble themselves, and they're in it just to win an argument, then simply say nothing. Here's another way of understanding this concept. Uh, This concept could be summarized by saying, don't wrestle with pigs. (laughs) Don't wrestle with pigs, because if you wrestle with pigs, you run the risk of becoming pig-headed, and everybody gets muddy. Okay, so that's funnier than you guys are responding. And I'm pretty sure it'll, like, it'll hit you later, and you'll be telling that to other people. Okay, so if the basis or context of working out our faith needs to be relationship, perhaps it isn't worth saying anything to the fourth cousin once removed on your mother's side. You have permission to say nothing. What we need now is some wisdom from Kermit the Frog. Um, so let's see that, that meme here. Many people don't know this, but you can read something you disagree with on the internet and just move on with your life. That is pretty good, Kermit. Thank you so much for that wisdom. All right. Third approach. to so- <laughs> He's like sipping iced tea. Like Lipton is getting all sorts of exposure from that. Like go, go buy Lipton tea this afternoon. Anyway, so third, third approach is to take a break. Take a break. Put it down. Delete the app. Take it off your phone. Professor of Media Studies at Purchase College, Shaka McLotten, says this. If it is doing you harm, if it is doing you harm, you should just opt out. You aren't going to be on your deathbed thinking, A, I wish I had been on Facebook more, or B, I'm so glad I won that argument with my uncle. Right? no one's on their deathbed thinking that social media allows us to exist if we choose to it allows us to exist in an echo chamber of ideas and where the temperature when we exist in this echo chamber the temperature of our outrage gets churned up until it boils over and when this happens we become more angry we become more anxious we lose sleep, and it has like all sorts of like real-world effects on our bodies and ourselves, our mental health, our emotional health, dare I even say it, our spiritual health, right? And so I would encourage you a few times a year to just take a break. Get off of social media for a season. Consider regular breaks, like no social media one day a week. It could be every Saturday, it could be every Sunday. Whatever day works best for you, decide I'm, this is my day off of social media. Take one or more of the social media platforms off of your phone so that you can only access that platform through this old ancient thing called an internet browser. Some of you who are under 40, you've never heard of that, right? I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but instead of like apps on your phone, Make it harder. You've got to get to it on your desktop computer or access it through an internet browser on your phone and sign in, right? All these kinds of things. Create just two or three more clicks. It can often be helpful. Uh, use screen time tools to limit the time that you spend on social media each day. Uh, I implemented this for myself several months ago um, for social media where I was just like, if any app is in the category of social media, then here's my kind of daily limit. And I just set that, so when I hit that, it just says, hey, you've reached your limit. Um, and what I discovered is that there's one uh, social media platform that I just never go to anymore. Um, is Twitter. Twitter was making me so anxious and angry. And so when I put those limits, those screen time limits on my phone, I just completely dropped Twitter. I haven't looked at it in literally months at all. I quit cold turkey because I realized I just don't need or want—I don't actually want this in my life—and um, so just putting those little bit of limits uh, can help. And so, and by the way, when I I've stopped using Twitter altogether, and let me just say I haven't missed it. I haven't missed it at all. And so. When it comes to thinking about how do we live faithfully in our own context, in our own culture, our response to, our posture toward, our actions on social media have to be part of the conversation. Particularly as we think about how do we as people, as the people of God, faithfully witness to this generous, kind, hospitable God that is revealed to us in Jesus. Um, We have to think about like our actions on these platforms, and especially when they are like just central to the outrage and the rising temperature of outrage in our culture. And so, what I've given you today is not exhaustive in any way. Uh, I hope it's just like the start of some personal reflection or some conversation of how we might be faithful witnesses to Christ in the way that we participate um, in these platforms. Um, because this, this is the difficult and nuanced work of figuring out what it means to be faithful in today's world. This is what it means to put into practice Paul's encouragement to not hold to and to put away bitterness, rage, and anger. And our prayer is, Lord, would you help us to be your faithful witnesses? Amen? Amen. Let me say a word of prayer and then I'll lead us to communion. Gracious God, we recognize today that um, technology, particularly new technologies, um, are just like anything else, where they can tend to take on both the good of the people using them and also the evil of the people using them. And so... God, as we seek to be transformed people, the way in which we engage in social media in particular um, needs to have the mark of Christ on it. And Lord, of course, we actually have no idea how you would really use social media. That is the work of discernment of what it means To be Christian, to be Christ-like in our own time and in our own place, and so, God, we do pray that you would help us, that you would give us wisdom to know, to understand, to discern, especially as we think about the rising temperature of outrage in our culture and the real-world divisions happening because of it. We we pray, God, that He would help us to engage faithfully, to know when to stay away and to not say anything. So God, help us in these endeavors, recognizing that, of course, we'll make all kinds of mistakes along the way and there'll be times when we post something that as soon as we hit send, we'll think, man, I wish I would not have said that or I wish I would have said it differently. And so God, help us <clears throat> to be gracious with ourselves, relying also on your grace as we seek to be faithful in this area. Of course, social media and technology is only one lens through which we could view this passage that encourages us to be imitators of God by and, and putting on this new humanity by taking off anger and malice bitterness outrage and so god if there's one in here where for for which the conversation surrounding technology and social media just isn't landing and, and just has no resonance, i pray lord that through your holy spirit you would speak about what other ways and other areas of our lives that this might have an impact and that we might be able to take these words to heart. So God, help us. Um, Where there is division, we pray that you would bring unity. Where there is misunderstanding, we pray that you would bring understanding. So God, help us in all these ways, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.